Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the award-winning Great Indoors is proud to come to the fabulous Las Vegas Convention Center, MWC 2022. Baby, let's make it amazing. Thank you, Frank. Yes, this is season five of TGI. And here in fabulous Las Vegas as the GSMA's official podcast, I've been joined by a multitude of guests from across the industry. And always I'm joined by my producer and co-pilot, Larissa Yee. This is the sixth episode of the incredible conversations that we captured here at MWC 2022 Las Vegas, uh, North America's biggest telecoms and technology show. And in this particular episode, I've been speaking with Matt Hatton, who is the founding partner of Transformer Insights. We've also been talking with Rick Summerton, who's the president and CEO at ESAT Global. Now, unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of months, two of the biggest technologies that have featured in recent announcements from handset manufacturers and service providers have been eSIM and satellite. Now, what does this mean? What is it all about? And are satellite and eSIM technologies the next frontiers beyond 5G? So buckle up and let's get started. Okay, so my next guest here on The Great Indoors at MWC 2022 in Las Vegas is Rick Summerton. Rick is the CEO of ESAT Global, and he's come all the way from Australia just to meet us here on The Great Indoors. Absolutely, Matthew. It's worthwhile. So really nice uh, to meet you, Rick. And I think what we're going to be talking about uh, in in this particular session uh, is satellite, right, which has taken a lot of attention uh, in the press. It's captured people's imagination so if you will Rick just give us a, a, a maybe a, a quick introduction on yourself your role and on ESAT Global and, and what you guys are doing sure well I'm actually formerly a banker okay you know, right. I used to work for some Wall Street investment banks right I left them about 20 years ago and uh, got into some businesses myself and for my sins I got involved in IOT about five or six years ago and uh, Three years ago, uh, ESAT reached out to me and uh, asked me if I'd uh, help them in their business. So ESAT's business is about providing IoT connectivity to users in remote areas using uh, existing GeoSat satellites, which is a little bit about against the conventional wisdom, which has always been that the geos wouldn't be able to close the link for uh, IoT. Right and so we're unsuitable. But we've developed some technologies that not only disprove that conventional wisdom, but in fact demonstrate that we can deliver IoT for a significantly low cost, 1% of the cost of LEOs, and uh, and more reliably, and we'll have full global coverage when we switch on at the end of next year. Wow, excellent. And and give us an example of what one of those IoT use cases may be in a remote area. Well, one of our really um, important use cases is um, in relation to um, livestock tracking. So when I I talk to my friends and other people about um, uh, tracking assets from satellites, they go, oh, you could track containers. Right. And I say, how how many containers are they? No one knows, but it's about 20 to 30 million containers. Right. There's three billion head of livestock in the world. Right. And with the technology that we're developing, we can get information from cow tags 
that um, tells you where they are. You can geofence the cows. Wow. You can actually report on their health. So right. we can understand if they're in heat, uh, yeah, yeah. whether they're calving, whether they're pregnant. And all those pieces of information are really important, especially in calving. 7% of stock is lost every year in calving. Right, wow. And so we think we can significantly reduce that as a very strong business case uh, yeah. for implementing this on every cow in Australia. Right. And uh, so the number of devices that we can get out there, we think that we can capture 600 million of those uh, 3 billion devices or 3 billion head of livestock, yeah. which would make it a, one of the biggest use cases of IoT in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So you, you're tracking the livestock, you can do that in any country and you're selling that solution to the government entities or to the farmers? To the, to the ranchers. Right. And uh, in Australia, we have actually the support of uh, Meat and Livestock Australia, right. which is the um, peak body for the livestock industry. Uh, they act as a, uh, an R&D funding arm of the federal government in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're actually providing funding to help us develop our chipset that will go into these cow tags. Wow, that's really, really incredible. Yes. And, and look, satellite as a whole has captured the, like I said in, in the intro, the imagination of the industry. And there's been several announcements recently from Apple and, and, and T-Mobile. But what excites you about this particular area of comms and, and where do you think things are heading with the IoT component and beyond? Well, the IoT is an important part for us, but the other thing is, is uh, in text. We think that uh, text has the ability to deliver communications to people that are unserviced at the moment and without the same system that we have in place for IoT, we can send small messages. Yeah, and yeah. so it's eminently suitable to, uh, to sending text messages. And everyone's really excited about having uh, connectivity for calls and their direct-to-phone calls. We think that that's really a fool's errand because the industry or the, the demand for calls is in decline. Yes. And, uh, you know, I look around here and I see people with their phones out. They're not on the phone. They're, they're, they're texting. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're sending yeah. texts. And so text is the dominant form of communications on cell phones. And in remote areas, why, why do you need to invest huge amounts of dollars to service a market that's in decline yeah. and um, can be adequately serviced by by texting. Yeah. So right now we're in the process of developing uh, a system that will go well beyond anything that Apple's proposing at the moment, which is about purely emergency services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've already got the infrastructure available to us to do that emergency services. But add on to that the ability of governments to be able to broadcast in disaster scenarios. Right now in Florida, there'll be people that have no cell phone connectivity because all the towers have been knocked down, the electricity's yeah, out. Yeah. But the government using satellites with a satellite, with an ESAT enabled phone or a, an ESAT enabled um, hub would be able to receive emergency messages. So where to go for, um, for help. Yeah, so yeah. Where, where, where all the shelters are, etc. So all of that information is important information. The other part of that is that we can then work with first responders and provide connectivity for first responders. Yeah. We're also looking at an application where 
a uh, someone that's in in need of rescue be routed directly through to the first responders. Wow! Yeah. And so that's going to save a lot of lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we I just came from a um, a session earlier today where Global Star was talking about they have two hundred and fifty thousand Spot X devices, which are basically simple text messaging systems. Right. Uh, with location on, and they say that they save 1.6 lives a day with those 250,000 devices. Really? Now wow. imagine how many lives we can save if we can enable every phone to have that, that emergency connectivity. Yeah, yeah. And the cost is yeah. the really important thing. So we can do it for a dollar a year maybe. We're looking at volumes that have never been seen before in satellite markets. Mm -hmm. In the IoT market, there's four million devices connected. I talked about one use case where we think we can get 600 million. So those, that yeah, changes yeah. the economics of satellite. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. when you were able to divide those fixed costs by such large numbers, the average cost comes down. Yeah, absolutely. Also, great examples of, again, harnessing technology for good. Right? That's a, an underlying theme that I'm seeing. And I think it, 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 we're not just looking at the functions and, and the features and the dollars and the, and, and the cents, but that the leading part of any story from anybody I've spoken to here is what good it's going to do for society. Right? And I think in your first use case with the livestock, you know, we're, we're part of uh, an initiative in Snohomish County called the Food Resiliency Program. Mm -hmm. So using technology to improve the yields of the farmers that produce apples in, in these yep. orchards. But again, combined with, with this kind of innovation, like you said, the, the, the amount of livestock that can be saved and how that then translates back into the supply chain Yes. It's incredible, right? Absolutely. It's, it's really incredible. It's well, fascinating. If you, you think about it, there's out of... Three, if 7% die every year just from childbirth, that's 200 million head of cattle yeah, or yeah. livestock. And do you operate in other countries as well? Yeah, well, this is going to be right across the world. Oh, right, okay. And you know, one of the great things about what we're doing is that we can't deliver and service every country. So what we'll do is we're, we're building a module that will just be plug and play. So right. anyone in any country will be able to take our module put it into a device, it could be a soil sensor, uh, it could be other agricultural, you know, weather reporting, right. rain gauges, a whole range of agricultural stuff, things in the, in the mining industry as well. And they can take that uh, module and incorporate it into their devices and simply plug and play. So yeah, they yeah. can connect and we'll sell them connectivity and we'll sell them the device. Wow. And all those devices are, they're available now or are they... In no, they'll be... We'll, we're, Right now we're in development, we've yeah. been through some testing and we've actually proven that we can uh, close the link across the satellites, we did that uh, a couple of years ago. Right. And right now we're in development, uh, chipset development, and when we get all that done, uh, by the end of next year we'll be entering into the market. Wow, wow, it's, it's really fascinating, it's incredible. And, and on that topic and other topics at this show, what have you seen so far that you found interesting this year in Las Vegas? Oh. Good question. Um, I think it's the enthusiasm that I see from everyone here. Yeah, They're yeah. all excited about 
as you being say, back together. delivering, well, being back together, that's, and, that's and great, de yeah, but yeah. delivering those benefits to people. So yeah, yeah. they all see the mission of uh, yeah, improving people's lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's signed up to that. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. it, it did, I, I just get this sense, everybody I, I speak to, like I said, they're focused on that positive outcome now that's benefiting humanity. And I think given everybody was in that situation with COVID and technology helped us mm. get, get us through it, what are the other challenges we face now that technology can help fix? Whether it's climate change, we spoke to somebody who had the ambient IoT tags that can uh, can help towards that, the food uh, crisis that we have and, and, and your solution uh, there, Rick, helps towards uh, bettering that. Everything has a positive knock-on to society and I think that's that, that to me gives me like you said, great enthusiasm, and it makes it fascinating being here this week. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've really enjoyed that that positivity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, how we finish, right? How we finish, our, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, meeting you, Rick, and enjoyed our uh, conversation so far. But I finish with something called TGI to go. TGI to go. So it's a quick fire round, multiple choice questions. You just give your preference. Okay. And, and we pretty much ask the guests all the same questions, and then at the end we'll have an interesting montage of different ah, perspectives. Okay. So it's, it's it's just the fun bit we add at the it's end. Just A, B, C, or D. It's just one or the other. So the first question, oh, okay. for example, is Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin? Mm, Frank. Okay. He'll be here at three. By the way, you have to come. I heard him oh, you yesterday. Saw him yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I remember you came. Yeah, 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 yeah. What did you think? Oh, it's fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Blackjack or roulette? Yeah. And uh, have you had time to enjoy any blackjack? Not really been? a gambler. No. I no. gamble enough in my own life yeah. with my business. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough invested there. Enough risk. New York or Los Angeles? Oh, definitely New York. Yeah. No question. It's a great city. It's yeah. a great city. But you like Las Vegas, right? I love it. Yeah. yeah. And how often do you come to Vegas? Oh, this is only my second trip. Oh, right. Was, okay. Last time was CES in about... Um, oh, 2001. Oh, right, wow, wow. Yeah. And where are you staying? Are you staying any, anywhere? Uh, at MGM Grand. Oh, nice. Yeah, right. yeah it's okay. Right. Yeah. Um, coffee or tea? Oh, coffee. Yeah. And the final one, I don't. Uh, we're getting lots of different answers here. Singing or dancing? Oh, I dance and sing at the same time. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> well, we'll see you out there with Frank at 3 o'clock, Rick. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, listen, it's a pleasure having you on The Great Indoors. Pleasure meeting you and learning about what you're doing. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to just leave our listeners with or where they can find out more information about uh, yourself and ESAT? Oh, sure. Well, you can uh, find us on um, esatglobal.com. Right. Very, okay. very simple. Yeah. And uh, yeah. love to hear from anyone. Okay, excellent. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Rick. It's okay. been brilliant. So I hope you're enjoying the show so far, and thank you for taking time to join us uh, today. We'll get into what you specifically specialise in, uh, Matt, uh, at Transformer in a moment. But just on a personal level, what's the biggest innovation that has touched or impacted you personally over the last 12 months? Yeah, happy to talk about that. Really, it's to do with being able to get back and see people face-to-face, -face, and specifically technology-wise, mm -hmm. 
when I went on my business travels, I used to have to collect a whole load of receipts and take yeah. them home and scan them and send them to our accounts team and what yeah, have yeah. you. And now with the wonders of some of the apps and the the fintech space being in a in a quite a sophisticated place at the moment, I'm, I'm now able to just take a picture of my receipts, automatically upload them. They analyze the uh, the, the receipts and automatically send it off to to our accounts team, and it it all works like yeah. clockwork. So well, that yeah. personally for me is the uh, is is the big thing. Yeah. Well, particularly when you're here in Las Vegas and it's pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> You got to get those receipts um, in. Receipts galore. Yeah. So it's a it's a little bit of a mundane one, but you know sometimes well where there's muck there's brass is what they, right. they say yeah. where I where I come from, <laughs> and uh, you know in the mundane applications is where the uh, the really interesting yeah. stuff happens. I think. Cool. So give us a bit of background on yourself, Matt, and 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 what you're looking at in the market right now. I know we're going to talk specifically about eSIM related mm -hmm. things, but just for our listeners, an overview of uh, of what you're typically looking at in the market and publishing. Yeah, happy to do that. So I'm one of the founders of Transformer Insights. We're a research consulting firm focused predominantly, I'd say, on the IoT space, but we cover a lot of other disruptive technology areas. And we work in a couple of ways. We've got a advisory service where we're helping enterprises and, and technology uh, vendors on technical and commercial best practice. And then we do a lot of work on sort of client-specific stuff, maybe mm -hmm. marketing promotion, white papers, webinars, that, that kind of stuff okay. as, as well. But essentially, we're, we're the IoT guys is right. more or less how we, we position ourselves. Okay. Let's go to the first real question that we wanted to address. You had to be living under a rock if you didn't notice the Apple uh, uh, iPhone 14 launch last week. The big significant thing, a lot of people within Amdocs got excited. Uh, was the eSIM the e component. What is the significance of that from your perspective, Matt, in, in the industry as a whole? It's potentially incredibly impactful in terms of how the mobile industry works. We've been looking at eSIM for quite a few years because actually the IoT space has been one of the earliest adopters. They want these chips because they're uh, much more robust and they're more uh, mm -hmm. capable of dealing with uh, vibration and and high temperatures and low temperatures and that kind right. of thing. So we've been focused on this eSIM space for a, for a long time, and the IoT space loves eSIM because it means you don't have to switch in and out plastic SIMs and and, yeah. and so on. But when it comes to the consumer space, this is relatively new. Now we've had eSIMs in devices for quite a while, and in fact there was a 2019 there was a Motorola device which was eSIM only. But mm. really, it's Apple that moves the market, not so much Motorola in terms of in terms mm. of phones. But the interesting thing here is not so much the form factor, the fact that you're switching in, you don't have to switch in now, plastic yeah. SIM and, and, and so on. But it's more to do with how the relationship might change between the user and the mobile network. network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And ha yeah. how they uh, select their network operator and the fact that they'll be able to chop and change almost at will if they want to. But the big question mark is still, will they want to? And I think about, okay, my, my contract cost me Okay, I'm going to be put in UK terms. It's yes. about 15 pounds a month, right. which it, it, today's exchange rate is about 15 dollars a, yeah. a, a, a month. <laughs> not a, it, as of nine o'clock this morning. <laughs> exactly, yes. UK economy yeah. not in a good state at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but for that, I get like 120 gig of data. Mm -hmm. When am I going to want to switch to a different operator and incur additional charges? Well, when I'm roaming, yeah, potentially I might do that at the end of contract. 
might it mean that I, I change to having much shorter contracts? It, it might do, but if the operator is going to offer me something that's a long-term contract at a very low, low price, maybe it doesn't make that much difference. Essentially, what we've got is the mobile space and the buying of connectivity being brought into the 21st century. Yeah. Because, you know, I go on, I was in Berlin last week, I, I go on the, the, the tube there, I can buy, or the metro there rather, yeah. I can buy my tickets online, I can travel there. And it's kind of crazy that the pretty much the only thing you can't buy on your smartphone is the connectivity for your yeah, smartphone. Yeah. The reason why it's in your hands. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, exactly. And we're now with eSIM, you get into a situation where you, you can make that that, 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 that acquisition in, in, yeah. in, through the natural yeah. medium. How it changes things, well, we just don't know in the in the consumer space. We can hypothesize that some of the commercial terms from the operators might might well change. I think it makes roaming an awful lot easier. I think for me that's the the number one use case is when I go overseas, yeah. I can localize onto a onto a local network. At and, your choice. Yeah, exactly. So I'm then not not limited yeah. to what the what the yeah. roaming rates I might be paying from the operator right. are. But then you can counter all these things with commercial terms. Then the operators might decide, you know what? we're going to adapt our roaming tariffs accordingly to make sure that actually you don't need to move to a, a roaming provider. Yeah, yeah. So there's all these kinds of dynamics. What it, is, what it mostly does is make things an awful lot easier for the, for the consumer. consumer. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's also a potential change from the who might be your provider. Will Apple decide that actually they're going to become your connectivity provider and they'll decide which network you you connect over there hasn't been a lot of an indication that that they want to do that but it's something they could potentially do the relation well, the, the connectivity relationship yeah. switches to being being one with your handset rather than necessarily one yeah. with your operator that's really fascinating and also it opens up the door in that scenario where Apple would be negotiating the pricing package on behalf of the consumer yeah whoa the, the, the question is can they be bothered to do that exactly. is it yeah. a part of their yeah. business is it something that they see as having sufficient yeah. margin to be worth doing is it too yeah. painful an exercise to to go through yeah. that's a that's a call for apple but it's certainly something they they could do let's use another scenario because the united kingdom like the united states is a highly highly competitive market uh, the, the big operators fight for customers if you look at t-mobile here with their own carrier that unlimited they were the first to do unlimited data plans they disrupted the market and they're doing fantastically well where i live in canada is a very benign competitive environment it's all almost an oligopoly mm. high prices mm. the highest prices in the g8 are in canada mm. i know trudeau's trying to inject competition into the market but the big three tell us bell and rogers it's it's almost I've got to be careful because they're customers of ours but the, the prices are set and the, there isn't a lot of competitive could this help in a market like Canada shake up the potential competitive it, aspects it, it should be able to absolutely because it, it would theoretically well more than theoretically practically allow you to switch between operators much more easily and so there's much more of an incentive for them to try to encourage you onto onto Even their if they network. were just going to bring something down a dollar and it's that easy to switch over and then that can start the it, it, it can do if you look at what T-Mobile has done here they have launched an offer where you can try their 5G for free for I think it's six months or some, something along those lines and yeah. that kind of offer come try us, come come use our services. Now, 
ultimately the the price point of that connectivity does depend on on those operators and maybe any MVNOs that they decide to have done deals with. So they have a lot of control over what that what yeah. ultimately that that price is going to be. Yeah. But they might find that if yeah. one operator moves, then the others will will need to to move. Yeah. We'll have to see. So here's another interesting point. Now in my history, my background. I worked for many handset vendors, Nokia, Motorola, mm-hmm. LG, mm. and getting products listed with service providers was a very competitive yeah. gig. Yeah. Unless you were iPhone, mm. right? Which the service providers will automatically resist the introduction of eSIM, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's what you based on on our discussion. So how do you how do you think that's going to play out? Because I always remember if I use an old example when the handset manufacturers were rushing to put RCSE in the devices, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. was a prerequisite to get your product listed. Mm-hmm. It had to have RCSE to fight against the OTT players mm-hmm. where the service providers were getting no revenue at all. So that, And if you didn't have that in your device, you weren't getting listed, regardless yeah. of whether the consumer was going to use it or not. Yeah. In this instance, do you think the service providers could potentially say, we ain't going to list that device Samsung unless you take the eSIM capability out. Do they have that power still? I don't think they do anymore, really. 15 years ago, yeah. yeah. We saw a big scramble. I was working at 3UK at the time when okay. the iPhone was launched. Yeah. And there was a big scramble by the operators because when the first iPhone launched, they decided to go exclusive with, with, O2. with, with one yeah. operator, O2 in the, yeah. in the UK, in, in the UK's example, yeah. And that was quite a, a coup for them and they controlled a large proportion of the route to market for selling handsets because that was typically how you, you bought your handset, you paid your £35 a, a month and you got your free handset yeah. and you carried on pay, paying um, like that. But over the course of the last 15 years, a lot more handset purchase has moved out of the operator channel. You know, I don't know many people who get their handsets through the operator anymore. I certainly buy my iPhone separately okay. from buying my, my connectivity because then I can buy a SIM that costs me, like I say, yeah, f- yeah. 15 pounds a month rather than uh, something yeah. something much more, more extortionate. So it's moved much more in the direction of the, the handsets being something that people buy separately. And therefore the operators don't really have that much of a, of a of power or control over how the handsets might be might be set up. You know, they can't dictate anymore. Yeah. I don't think no. the the features and, and functionality, other than obviously they certify devices. So you, you you've got that yeah, that yeah. aspect to it. Yeah. But generally speaking, I think uh, it will be out of their hands. Yeah. So let's switch gears and talk about IoT in relation yep. to eSIM. Yeah. eSIM in general, regardless of the iPhone launch, propel IoT and where it's heading. Yes. I, I think it's fair to say it's still, uh, in the last one I talked about the Gartner hype cycle, IoT is still somewhere, maybe not at the top of the hype cycle, you, you'll probably know better than me, Matt, but it still hasn't realized the hype that was behind it. Depends who you are. Right. If okay. you're GM and every car that you manufacture is rolling off the production line with an embedded module, it's not hype. Right. If you're a utility that's connected every smart meter in their territory, it's certainly not it's hype. Yeah. What we've seen is perhaps not hitting the overinflated forecast that 
have happened in the in the past. Now, speaking as someone who's done IoT forecasting for yes. at least a, at least a dozen <laughs> years, I have to say that we were rather more conservative than most, and we weren't too far out, like twenty to twenty five percent out for our for, yeah. for what happened in twenty twenty. So I think that's a, a, a pretty good good win. In terms of driving IoT through through eSIM, there's a couple of aspects to this. One of them is you in certain markets you need your uh, cellular connected IoT device to localize onto a onto a local network. There yeah. are regulations in countries like Brazil and Turkey and, and various others. And having this eSIM capability streamlines that process of, of localizing. And in fact, more broadly it streamlines the process of putting a device into market. So yes. imagine you're a manufacturer of, I don't know, connected healthcare device of, of, of some sort. You don't want the logistics issue of every market it ends up in, you have to switch out SIMs yeah. in order to, to, to get it to work. The fact that it can arrive in a, in a market and localize onto a network is a great thing. That, that kind of bootstrapping is a, an immediate win for, for eSIM. There is still a question mark about the extent to which enterprises will want to pick up a set of a million deployed smart me to say and say I'm going to shift those over onto a onto a different network yeah. onto a different operator. You've got all the back end integration issues to deal with and the and the fact that actually maybe it doesn't work in the case of a, a few of the devices and then you've got to do a truck roll and you've got all these sorts of sorts yeah. of challenges associated with it, which mean that. For the enterprise, they may be a little hesitant on, on taking advantage of that capability just to shave a few cents off the cost of their, their mm -hmm. connectivity. But in terms of that initial localization, in terms of an insurance policy for in the event of that network being switched off, you know, we're seeing quite a lot of 2G and 3G refarming happening and that, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so for network longevity, very useful tool, tool there. And, and kind of keeping your suppliers honest as well, right? Mm -hmm. You've got yeah, this yeah. threat. I, I yeah. can move, I can take my, my connectivity uh, elsewhere. Yeah. Th there's also been a, a quite a significant issue with IoT devices roaming when they shouldn't really be roaming. Because, I mean, roaming was designed for, uh, I, I come to Vegas for a week, yeah, 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 yeah. My, yeah. I can use my phone that I bring from home and then I go back home, yeah. right? I, it wasn't designed for IoT devices that go into the US from wherever yeah. and are connecting to those, to those US networks in perpetuity. And the network operators in the US don't like it and, and, and rightly so, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Not, a, not what it was what it was designed for. And so having that capacity to switch across to the network operator of, of, of choice in the in the US absolutely makes sense. Now, to, to counter that, they could just be a bit more lenient on how they work with roaming or introduce something that's rather more sophisticated in terms of how they how they roam, introducing approved lists of carriers yeah. and that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there are alternatives, but essentially it, it provides that capability to, yeah. to localize and, and just drive out some of that complexity of deploying global or multi-country IoT, yeah. IoT yeah. solutions. Interesting, interesting. Now, keeping in the, in the world of future gazing mm. and maybe things that are a little bit hyped, obviously we can't go anywhere anywhere in the world right now where you don't hear the word metaverse. <laughs> yes, right? yes. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to check out the K Metaverse booth that's in no, the No, me, me either. Back-to-back -back meetings for me all, yeah. all week. I want to check it out, but how will IoT and eSIM benefit or help propel 
the metaverse or whatever manifestation it actually finds itself to be in the end. Yeah, the metaverse is a very interesting one, and I just want to, before I answer your question, I got a kind of kind of thought on metaverse, which right. is very unusual in the telecoms space for there to be a market which is demand driven. Yeah. Right. We are used to having markets which are supply driven. You build the networks, you roll out the services, and then you hope that build the customer it, build it, and they will if come. If you build it, they yeah. will come. Yeah. But the concept of the metaverse, with augmented reality and virtual reality, needing ultra low latency, everything being virtual, this this kind of much more deep, engaged experience for for, yeah. for users, is something that's been proposed without necessarily yet having the technology there to, to be able to deliver it. Yeah, and I find yeah, that a yeah. fascinating dynamic no, in, the, really in, the, um, in the telecom yeah, space. Yeah. Now, the whole idea with 5G is that you get that ultra low latency and the high bandwidth and therefore it's a, mm -hmm. it's a great mm -hmm. capability for, for delivering on, on the metaverse potentially depends how it plays out and you've got things like augmented reality and virtual reality obviously if you're, you're talking about that hugely immersive experience then these mm -hmm. kinds of what we can term IoT devices. I mean, according to our definition, yeah, yeah. that that would be a, a that would be an IoT device. So we're um, and you've got that sort of overlap between 5G, hot topic, IoT, hot topic, metaverse. It's all yeah. kind of kind of interlinked. In terms of eSIM, no specific implication. I wouldn't have said. I'm being cautious here because there's probably something uh, amazing that I'm that I'm instantly not not thinking of. But I mean, other than it just simplifies the experience of connecting devices, which is you know, metaverse is going to be all about all about connected uh, devices. Yeah. And you may find that you may chop and change sessions uh, based on what kind of capabilities you might need from a network say you know one of the yeah, things yeah. about about 5g is you can do things with say network slicing where you can have a slice which is ultra low latency or ultra high bandwidth yeah, yeah. or the, yeah, these yeah. kinds of various features and you, you may find that someone wants to switch networks to connect to the network that's going to give them the most appropriate connectivity for their metaverse experience. Yes, I'm completely hypothesizing yeah. no, it's, it's, it's a good hypothesis. Is there also a hardware element? Because when I've been looking at the metaverse and we look at the headsets and the power requirements, the heat, the cooling requirements, the, the need for miniaturization, does eSIM help play into that, particularly if those devices leave the house? Yes. So what we've got is a definitional thing here. Sometimes when we talk about eSIM, we're talking about actually the remote SIM provisioning functionality that allows yeah. you to actually switch between operators. What you're talking about there is the hardware aspect to yeah. it, which is at least equally important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, there are device types where having that slimmed down uh, component rather than having a, a dedicated housing with a plastic SIM, which is fairly bulky, makes a big difference. I mean, it made a big difference with smartwatches, say. Yeah, that was so, probably yeah. the first consumer yeah. uh, sector that, or consumer product where it was it was thought relevant to, um, to, to introduce eSIM. Now, obviously, that's not a metaverse piece of hardware, but anything you can do to, to drive out the costs, uh, improve the battery life on the on these devices, yeah. make just make them a, a bit more, um, well, smaller and, and, and sexier looking. And iSIM, actually, 
the next step on from, from eSIM. Okay. This is where you integrate the, the SIM functionality into another component on the, on the device. Right. Helps even further with that because then you don't need even a eSIM component. You, you've eliminated you've that altogether. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. so it's, it's just another step. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, I think everything goes to, from, from eSIM. Well, first off, everything goes eSIM. There is no doubt that the, the plastic SIM is on life support, <laughs> shall, shall, shall we say, and, and eSIM is going to dominate. And then beyond that, iSIM is, is going to be the next, the next thing to, yeah. to come through. And we did some work uh, that we published just earlier on this, this year where we talked about the, uh, the price of the lifetime connectivity for an IoT device. And it's just cheaper using eSIM and yeah, then yeah. cheaper using iSIM. Ultimately, once you take into account all of the various variables about mm -hmm. supply chain costs and, and, and so on, it just works out cheaper. Plus, it's better for battery life there's, and better for, yeah. for slimming down the, the, the form yeah. factor as well. Awesome. Well, we're almost out of time, Matt. Uh, I've, I've got more questions. We could probably talk a, a lot longer on the subject, but I, I think you've provided some fascinating insights so far. Good. So we're going to finish with our TGI to go quick fire round. All right. Are you ready for I'm it? I'm ready. Here we go. TGI to go. Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin? It's got to be all blue eyes, isn't it? Frank Sinatra. Yeah, you're in the majority there. And yeah. he'll be here at three o'clock. The wonder of technology. Excellent. Bringing him back. Poker or craps? Poker. Yeah. Are you... Planning to play any poker? I, I am not. Although I did get accused when I came through security that I that I might be a high roller, bringing in lots of cash. <laughs> they they asked me that question. I was like, no, no, I'm I'm here for purely for work. So. Rome or Nice? Rome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I've always been a bit of a history buff, and I think Rome is a it's where it's more a of that city. is to be to be found. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. It's always a beautiful city. The eternal city. One for a fellow Brit, Indian or Chinese food? Oh, Indian food without a doubt. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a dab hand at cooking it. Chinese food I've never been able to quite master and actually probably if I'm going out to a restaurant, I'm more likely to be a Chinese restaurant, but if I'm cooking at home, which I do a lot, it'll be Indian. Right, and have you got any plans to explore the culinary delights of Las Vegas? Las Vegas, not so much. I'm, I'm heading out on Saturday morning. In fact, I'm, I'm driving out to San Francisco. I shall be going through Death Valley and doing the oh, nice. uh, Sequoia National Park and a whole, oh. whole bunch of stuff there. Yeah, that'll so that, be that'll, be, that'll be fun. Culinary delights, delights of, of Las Vegas. I tend to find that the good places are well off the strip, way, way off the strip. Mm -hmm. Places mm -hmm. in little strip malls that, are, that are, you, know, you wouldn't otherwise look at. That's where all the chefs who work on the strip eat, uh, go look, look uh, for those okay. uh, restaurants. I can't remember the names of any off the top of my head, but there's some good ones. It'll certainly be more cost effective because the restaurants are... It very definitely is, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, singing or dancing? Oh, singing. I'm a, I'm a singer in a band, so oh, I've got oh, it. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. What's I mean, the band called? The band's called The Proposition. All right. So is it available I, on? Uh, no, no, abso absolutely oh, not. It's, it's, it's strictly the occasional wedding or I guess we do bar mitzvahs. It okay. would be traditional, but um, uh, no, it's named the proposition because I, I, I worked at Three UK. I worked in the proposition department. Right. Okay. It was formed by a, a bunch of us who worked there, and uh -huh. we've kind of carried it on. So, so yeah, that's us. Nothing very glamorous. More uh, entertainment than than art, shall we say? And right. I would describe my uh, my contribution as uh, enthusiastic rather than necessarily talented. Oh, brilliant! Well. 
you're welcome to join Frank Sinatra at 3pm <laughs> and uh, we'd like to have you here Matt to do that um, brilliant well that concludes our TGA to go and, and that concludes uh, our session today it's been an absolute pleasure Likewise. Matt uh, your insights have been fascinating where can people find out more about your research and, and what you're publishing go check us out on transforminsights.com particularly the blog there's a whole bunch of stuff that's available for right. free on there but um, yeah go check the website brilliant well thank you for joining us my pleasure so what another great episode. I want to thank our guests, Matt and Rick. Great conversations. Stay tuned for more. There's more to come from this show from MWC 2022. And also check out www.amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors for more information, back episodes and videos associated with TGI. So I'm Matthew Roberts in Las Vegas for Amdocs. See you next time, wherever you are.